Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Lunch with Legs. Legs Malone here wishing you a very warm and happy hello. Hope everyone is doing great. It is so nice to see the sun staying out later and later and later in the day. For those of you who are listening at a different space and a different time, especially if you're based in New York, just bring yourself back to, say, the month of February in 2015 in New York City, and you will understand why I am so incredibly excited about the impending sunshine, the rising temperatures, and the inevitable, that's right, folks, springtime. Oh, it cannot come soon enough. I am so excited to bring you this week's episode. I interviewed the fabulous Peter Aguero again. He came onto the podcast in one of our first episodes, and we had a major audio malfunction. And thanks to the hard work of Nikki Nickers, we were able to resurrect the recording. But it is, nonetheless, it kind of sounds like it's underwater wearing a mask, <laughs> if the recording could do that. Um, so I'm very happy to bring you uh, this one now that is bright, it is shiny, it is clear, and you can hear us from start to finish. Before we dive into the interview, just a quick shout out to everyone supporting the podcast. Thanks so much to everyone giving us love in the form of page views, donations, no matter the size. Every bit of that energy goes towards helping Dave and myself grow this podcast bigger and bigger, uh, if even just in our dreams for now. But we love this podcast so much, and I'm so, so happy that you guys do too. So thank you. Also, a big shout out to our lovely, uh, it's not our sponsor because we were actually sponsoring them, but Mason Dixie Burlesque. A huge thanks to Ula, Hazel, and Deanna for approaching the podcast about sponsorship, and I hope they had a magnificent tour. I believe their tour just concluded uh, last week. I'm recording this just after the Ides of March. So if you want to learn a little bit more about them or check out where you could have caught them but did not this time around, please do go to masondixieburlesque.com. All right, folks. Without further ado, let's go ahead and bring Peter to your ears. Peter is a regular host for The Moth, the storytelling, as well as, I don't know if he's ever technically hosted the podcast, but I have heard him on their podcast. He is also uh, the star and creator of an incredible play I have yet to see, but after our interview, I definitely want to see it, and we'll be bringing some tissues, I'm sure, called Daddy Issues. You can catch him all over. You can find out exactly where to find him at peteraguero.com. And I just have to say, I love this man. He is big and warm and just the best man to hug ever, period. (laughs) All right, folks, go ahead, sit down, get nice and comfortable, pour yourself a cup of something good, (laughs) and get ready for the magnificent Peter Aguero. Peter Aguero, thank you for rejoining me. I kind of want to call this like Peter Aguero interview, The Reckoning, because our <laughs> last one was so murky sounding. We had such a bad sound issue. So thank you for coming back to Lunch with Legs. Yeah, of course, man. How <laughs> long ago was that? That was... It was a year ago. It was, yeah, it was definitely at least a year ago. That was a while ago. Uh, actually, no, it was summertime. We recorded in the summertime, I think. I didn't look at the episode list, but I think it was the third interview we posted. It's been like 2013, I bet. It was, yeah, because, yeah, it would have been because it was summertime and we didn't launch until December of 2013. So it would have been, yeah, 
So here we are in frigid February of 2015, doing yeah. it again. It is cold. There's a bastard out there. <laughs> How are you? Uh, man, I'm like, I guess I'm all right. I, yeah, you know. Uh, I'm, uh, this is the first time I've really been affected by the seasons. Mm. Like, this, I don't know, this year, like, December, and it's, just, it's February today, like, this year... December and January, I was really affected by like the the darkness and and all that. That never happened to me much before. Like mm. as I get older, it happens more. And uh, it's been a pretty intense couple of months. My head's been in a weird place, and my activities have uh, suffered due to that. Mm. But you know, I mean, generally I'm okay. But you know, other than the general ennui of <laughs> of being in my head and what that's like. I'm okay. I feel like it's been a really intense winter for a lot of people. Um, yeah. I mean, I could, I could give you my uh, quote unquote new age or hippie take on it, which a lot of my friends like to call. But I do yeah. feel that there's a lot of stuff going on for a lot of people, and it has been compounded by the dark and the frigid temperatures. Yeah. I mean. We have nothing on, like, Chicago or Minnesota. Sure. But it's still been fucking cold. And it's not Boston that has had, like... Those poor bastards. 80,000 feet of snow. No joke, seven feet. Like, God yeah, damn. It's like ice planet hot. And actually, uh, the New York Times just posted a really good uh, op-ed by somebody up there saying that the real damage of this winter in Boston is yet to be seen. Exactly. Forward, yeah. Because people can't get to work. Yeah. They're not going to be able to pay their bills. They're... God forbid they lose their homes. Yeah. Like it's it's interesting to see how the you know the extreme weather does have an economic impact. I think they said in Boston that they spent thirty five million dollars on yes. snow removal, which is double what they had exactly. Planned. I mean that's just, double double the budget. Yeah, it's crazy. And as you, with people not getting, I mean it's like yeah, income across the board is a uh, is just down. Yeah, yeah, I it's going to be. I feel for the people up there. I have a bunch of, I went to college in Boston. I still have a lot of friends who live up there and just listening to what they get up to on Facebook being like, oh, great, fourth day in a row, snow day. What the hell am I going to do with my kids? Like, I want to hurl myself out the window into a snowdrift and not come back. But they're generally angry lunatics in Boston. <laughs> like, they, I mean, they live on whiskey and fist fights. Like, I don't mean to make to make huge generalizations, but I feel comfortable about that one. <laughs> I'm not the populace of Boston. I don't spend a lot of time there, so they're not gonna they're not gonna really come and get me for that. But like that yeah, I mean, you know, that's what you get. <laughs> Fueled with rage. Oh Boston. Yeah, I uh I, I feel for them and just even watching like I have family who lives up in Maine and yeah. same thing, like they regularly yeah, are getting. Man, you are popular with my cats. I mean, we're, this is clearly not a video episode, but both of the cats have gotten up onto the table and are really interested in getting to know more about you. There's some kind of joke I can make about pussy right now, but, <laughs> but I'm not going to. You're surrounded. I don't know what it is, what that joke is, but you know, <laughs> it'll come. Fill in the blanks yourself. <laughs> They're very interested in getting to know you. Yeah. Um, so, what have you been working on? Uh, well, um, man, I've been working on, uh, the main thing I've been doing is the show Daddy Issues that I've been doing for about a year and a half. Totally. Oh, there's cats attacking each other. Cat fight. Um, I've been, it was a show I'd started developing 
right around the time we spoke last. It mm. was in the, about the summer of 2013. Um, and it's just uh, somebody gave me an opportunity to do a show in the East Village. Horse Trade Theater Company was doing this thing called the, the Mini Fridge, which was like a, a short little theater festival in the summer. And uh, the, the guy who runs this guy, Ziv, asked me if I wanted to do a show. He's like, what do you got? And I said, well, let me think about it. I was like, yeah, put me down, but let me think about what the show is. So, so I had two choices were to either do the easy one, which would have been, I was going to just call it like some stupid shit, like Peter Gore's greatest hits and just tell a bunch of, uh, you know, an hour's worth of like stories I really like to tell mm -hmm. or I was looking for a grander narrative, like a longer narrative mm. that I had. And I realized I had a whole bunch of stories about growing up with my dad and, you know, the difficulties therein. So uh, I put together a bunch of those stories um, and figured out uh, some kind of structure to it. And I started doing this show called Daddy Issues. Um, and when was the, when, when did you start that? The first one was probably like July of 2013. Oh, wow. And so... Uh, I did it then. I did it like once in September, uh, you know, a couple times in the fall, and then I did it down in Philadelphia as part of this thing called the First Person Arts Festival, uh, which is like a, a, a kind of a storytelling poetry what, uh, organization down in Philly. Mm -hmm. So I did it down there, and that like my some of my you know like my mom and my sister and some cousins and friends from high school and like other people came and. That was intense because they were, you know, talking about stuff that they were involved with, you know, and times in my life that they were involved with. Cause yeah. A lot of times when I'm, you know, in New York or outside of the city or around the country, like I'm talking about these personal things and the people in the stories aren't there. Right. So it was very, it was, it was intense telling these stories um, in front of the people there. But so as time went on, I kept doing the show and reworking it. I did it once with a guy named Joe Yoga, who's a musician. Uh, we, you know, we played music during the show and we did some atmospheric stuff. But, and then I got into, last summer I got into the Edmonton Fringe Festival uh, in Canada up there. So um, that was really interesting because I had to pare down the show and make it simpler. Mm -hmm. um, and the structure had to work without bells and whistles. Like I've done solo kind of projects before, but they had either like uh, video as part of it or audio clips or I did one that had like burlesque acts as part of it um, and this was the first time I did something that was it was just me and wow. um, so uh, you know doing it at the Fringe Festival last year really focused the show a lot uh, made it really, you know doing it seven times in ten days for new audiences that's like boot camp it, for real and it was it was really it was really informative for the show and like what this, you know, I've and I've been learning about what the material means to me too as time's going on. Like I, like it's all happening in real time, and like so, um, you know, as since a year and a half ago, the structure of the show has changed a lot. There were originally five stories. I took one of them out and put uh, like three other ones in, so it tells a different story. There used to be these transitional breaks with like these notes and lists and stuff. I took those out. Mm -hmm. I took out everything that wasn't moving the narrative ahead. You streamlined it. Yeah. And so right now it's, you know, it's about, it runs about an hour and 10 minutes, hour and 12 minutes, something like that. Uh, 
and I'd like it to be an hour and eight minutes just because it was running like that for a while and it's gotten a little longer now and I think some of that is just because stuff I've learned about the relationship and the relationship to myself Mm. with the show and all this and on top of that um, you know like so like last so I was in the summer I did that festival and then this last fall I did it um, you know I've done the show in Las Vegas I did it in Vermont I did it in D.C. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was in Memphis, Tennessee, in Huntsville, wow. Alabama. I'm doing it in Austin, Texas next month. I'm uh, doing it in Portland, Maine in May. The snow will have melted by then, hopefully. Hopefully. There's some <laughs> of it. I'm doing it actually in Philadelphia this Friday. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. I have this nightmare of it just being a bunch of people I went to high school, like 12 people from high school going. Oh, man. And then that's it. But, you know, we'll see. Uh I don't know, man. Like that, it, it's that's the thing I've been working on mostly. I mean, you know, I work, I, I do stuff for the Moth and host shows for them, and and I still do other random gigs here and there. But like my main focus in the last, definitely in the last six months has been this show and just trying to do it in as many places as I can. And um, it's been, it's been a good experience, uh, and the show's good. I, though there's a lot of anxiety with it. There's a lot of anxiety of of. It's so deeply personal yeah and like it's a lot of it is reliving you know what i mean you can't call it anything other than trauma yeah so like it's reliving a lot of trauma but like um between doing the show and you know i go to therapy and uh you know constantly thinking about everything which is good and bad like i'm getting through it in a different way yeah and the, the material is changing because of the you know i guess you know where i am personally the mm-hmm. the 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 purpose of the material has changed. Mm-hmm. I originally was in this state of mind that I thought if I talk about these really difficult things in my life, I'll get through them. But I didn't really realize how that that's still presentational. It's not really actually confronting any of the actual issues. Mm-hmm. So I've had to learn that through this process. Wow. It's re- it's been intense, man. And, and on top of that, like I have a, a like a book proposal Wow, that's yeah, exciting. My, yeah, like for a book based on the show oh, wow. that my agent has out right now. And like I'm, it, the glacial pace of the publishing industry is, uh, it's a lot, also what's causing a lot of my anxiety, mm. you know, um, just because it's, it's like, I have this idea that I have this, you know, tens of thousands of words about my life in the hands of a stranger and they're judging it uh, on like the, what are they judging it on? Like whether or not there's the worth of my work and then the worth of like my experience in my life. And it's right. just, it's in the back of my head all the time. And, wow. and you know, so that's what I've, that's what I've been working on, man. Yeah. Like it's, you know, it's been nuts. And to be honest with you, I've kind of, at times I get really burned out on, uh, I get burned out on everything. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what I'm, you know, I don't know what I'm going to be doing moving forward because I, you know, I have all this stuff about the show, but I, I don't know. I don't always know how I feel about it. I don't always know. Sometimes I get, I uh, most of the times I get tired of hearing my, the sound of my own voice. Mm. Uh, I want to. Uh, I got this thing in my head now that like I used to be. I used to do more acting years ago, and I haven't done any in a long time for various reasons and. 
part of me misses that. Like, what I want to do right now, I was saying to somebody last night, it's like, I'm just burned out. I want to go play a chef in a short film somewhere. That's all I want to do. You know that what I mean? That can be arranged. I suppose, <laughs> I guess. I don't know, man. Like, you know, I want to do a character. Everything I'm doing is, is autobiographical, and it's, 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 uh, it can be real. It can be a real drag. I can, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure. What has it been? I mean, I've got lots of questions about that. The first one that's coming to me is, what has the response been to when you do these shows? Because, I mean, there are so many people in this world who have really intense daddy issues, yeah. for lack of a better term. Yeah. I mean, what? What? Well, we're taking been... it back. We're taking back daddy issues. Yeah, <laughs> reclaiming. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not uh, an insult. Or, no, or no, no, absolutely no. There's yeah. no, there's no judgment therein, but there is a yeah. lot of unhealed trauma, especially yeah. when some of us are, uh, we consciously or unconsciously choose uh, our fathers to who have deep wounds and who live from those wounds yeah. and cannot love us because they don't know how to love themselves. Yes, that's exa- and like. Well, I mean, the, the the show itself isn't really. It's not about him. It's not about. It's not about him and things that he had done. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of the framing of the story, but really what it is, it's about me and how I've grown, yeah. right? Or how I've tried to grow. Mm-hmm. The response has been uh, overwhelmingly positive. Um, Do people tell you their stories? Uh, well, yeah. And that's, I mean, that can be hard, like right after a show where, you know, like the show, like I said, it's like an hour and 15 minutes. It's really intense. And then like afterward, you know, Generally, people though though what what'll happen is I think people understand that it's it's too hard to talk about it right after. So like they'll come up. What happens every time I do this show, there'll be two or three people in the audience that like hang around and when I come back out, they uh, they'll just come up and like they'll be crying and they just give me a hug. Wow, Ooh, I just got goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, and that, like that happens every time. So you know. The anxiety I feel every single time before I do the show is the little editor voice that's in every creative person's head that's telling them, what you're doing is pointless, what you're doing is a waste of time, what you're doing is uh, you're you're just wasting your own time, everyone else's time, none of this matters. And then I do the show, and afterwards I see that it's all a lie. That, that like the, the response is, the thing that I love about stories is that if, if somebody's being really truthful about their experience... When you're going through trauma, you, f- you feel like you're alone in it because yeah. you are. But but if you're able to express the truth about it, then later other people will say, I've been through that too. And then you show them that they're not alone and they show you that you're not alone and it helps everybody. So it's been like overwhelmingly a good response. You know, like sometimes people come in, they think it's going to be one thing. Like here's a standard, you know, you hear the phrase one man show or solo show and it's just going to be this guy just slagging on his dad and it's not about that at all and you know it's not funny there's funny parts you know but there's like a whole stretch there's like a 20 minute stretch in the middle that's like dead silent and really sad and like you know it's that's the most important part of it I think because it's not shying away from you know how I felt that you know at 14 years old like the stories are like 5 years old 8 years old you know 13, 14, 19, and, you know, 23 and 36. So it's like, the you know, kind of the breadth of me growing up. And, uh, you know, at least representationally, you know, like these seven stories are like 
like the movie Boyhood that you know which I've not seen it's really fantastic yeah. and I, you know like there's flaws in it like there is with anything but the thing I really liked about it was just it was like there was just it wasn't about the major milestones of life it was it was about the 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 kind of stuff the everyday stuff yeah. you know the milestones the kind of sneak up on you and, yeah so, um, yeah, the, the response has been really, really good. When I went to Edmonton, part of the reason I went to Edmonton was, uh, you know, it was I ended up breaking even, and that's fine, but I got great quotes and great reviews. So, like, I got, you know, like, you know, it was worth it to go up and, like, perform in front of new audiences. They were very respectful. Canadians love art, man. They love theater. They, yeah. they take care. They have a different relationship with artists than they do here. There's a real respect for it. People subsidize their art with their with their money and mm-hmm. their support. It's amazing. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the Winnipeg Fringe this summer in July. Amazing. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to that. Just to, I don't know, man. Just to get in front of these audiences, they're fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Have you thought about going over to Europe? Any of the European fringes? Um. Well, no. Well, I mean, there's a yes. lot of expense involved in that. No, yes and no, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, like we we saw each other at uh, you know in Edinburgh, in Edinburgh, yeah, 2012. Yeah. That was and uh, Jesus was that almost three years ago? Yeah, holy, shit. <laughs> it was 2012. That's crazy. And I mean, I was there for a corporate gig. Yeah. You know, I know you were there on your own your own thing. Yeah. I don't know if I would. I don't know if I would go myself to. Go over there and do a month. It would just be. That is fucking boot camp, man. Yeah, the expense of that is crazy. Oh my god. I mean, I believe in the show and I believe, you know, and all that, but like at the same time, like, you know, the. Like Edmonton was hard and that was 250 shows. Edinburgh, there's like 4,000 shows. Yeah. Like literally four, like the program looks like a phone book. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, like, I. I guess the, the, I have friends that have done well in Edinburgh and, and like book gigs from it. I don't know. I thought about it. Maybe. I have always said no since I did that, but like you're the second person to bring that up to me in the last in the last mm-hmm. week. So yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Maybe. Planting seeds. Yeah, maybe I it's wonder, next wonder. summer. Yeah, um, where would you like um ultimately daddy issues to end up and or achieve? I mean, that's I, that seems like a silly question, but where would you like to see it going? Well, I have this this kind of like ultimate framework of like what could work. It's a long con, so like <laughs> this is what it is. But like you know, I think after a year and a half now, the show is pretty much what it's going to be. So if I can get the if if somebody buys a book proposal, uh, the book would be you know if the show is like seven stories, the book will be probably twenty two stories. It'll be just more stuff. Uh, with the based in the show, but then expanded on everything. Um, you know, like if I I have I sent out the proposal with half of the book written, so there's still be space for an editor to to work it and yeah, figure shape, out shape create. Yeah, I, did, yeah, I didn't want to write the whole thing and then have to scrap half of it. So it let's say uh, what I would like to do. Let's say, you know, a year from now or a year and a half from now, if the book is out, I would like to be able to, so somebody's got to buy this book. I'm going to keep doing the show, uh, finish writing the book. The book will be published and then I would go on like a tour, Mm -hmm. um, and do, instead of going to like bookstores and doing 
uh, just like a reading, I would do the show because it's like it's I can make the show an hour. Yeah. And then, you know, people can then read the book, and then they can read the book in my voice after already seeing it. So, uh, ultimately, what I have in my head is I would really like eventually to be able to have the show. I want like a six week off Broadway run. Uh, like two years from now that's what I want so like my the way I'm chipping away at that is I can't it's man it's like it's little baby steps can't get reviews in New York it's impossible you you, you just can't so I'm getting reviews out of town so I'm going out of town getting articles and reviews on the show Uh, and then uh, then you know I come back and I still do it in New York from time to time and then let's say the book happens then I'll be able to go out and get reviews on the book and the show and then I'll come back and hopefully that'll make a theater or a producer or somebody, an angel, to bankroll it to, like, make that happen. Uh, I have ideas for two, the next, like, two shows that I'm going to write. Um, I want to play this one out, this string out, as long as I can. I've seen a lot of people have an idea for a show. They do it once, they do it twice, they do it three times, they never do it again. Oh, why do you think that is? Uh, I know why, because well, you're sick of doing it. Or sick of doing it. You're sick of doing it. You're sick of talking about it. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I, wanna, I think the show's good and I want to play it out as long as I can. So like what I'd like to do is, you know, like the next show I think will probably be a show about, um, you know, anxiety and depression and mm-hmm. living with that. Uh, you know, the show after that, uh, I have some loose ideas of what it'll be about, but like, you know, I want to, there's, there's people like, you know, Mike Berbiglia has been able to. He's a stand-up comedian by trade, but he's been able to do longer Sleepwalk pieces. With Sleepwalk with me and my yeah. girlfriend's boyfriend. He did two two of those yeah. pieces. Um, you know, Mike Daisy has you know mm-hmm. has been able to to. I mean, he's prolific. I mean, he just he puts out seems like a new hour every forty five minutes. <laughs> that guy. God, it's so incredible. People who can generate just like yeah. I mean, for lack of a better term, generate content. But yeah. that's not. I mean, it's just like just be that font uh, that source of just stories yeah. ideas art like it's hard oh my god because I don't know about you but like I, I get in the thing I'm in this right now where I feel like I've created everything I'm ever going to create and, I, and the world's dry and like I know that's not true but like at the same time uh, that's how I feel That's also understandable, though. I mean, for somebody who is a freelance performer and the fact that you work all the time, I mean, part of the creative process is rest. You know, we need to be able to cool our jets. I don't get it. I don't don't get get rest. Yeah, that's when people get, you know, burnt out or exhausted. I'll do it like one day, maybe one day a week, and that's pretty good. But, like, I have a hard time shutting it down for a month. When's the last time you went on vacation? Well, I mean, we last year I went I went down the Jersey Shore for a week in oh, the cool. summer. That was fantastic. Sarah and I had our tenth wedding anniversary. In wow! May. Congratulations, ten years, man. But we've been together eighteen. Wow! <laughs> Which is fucking bonkers. Wow! But, um, Congratulations. You know, thank you. That is no small feat. No, but uh, you know, like with when we went away for our, our anniversary, we went down to the DR for a couple of days. But like in the middle of that, my grandmother was in the was passing away. Oh my so like God. there was that. I mean, we went away and visited some friends around Christmas up in New England. But then Sarah got a stomach virus, and and then I got it. Oh. And so like that, you know what I mean? It's like I couldn't I couldn't shut it down. I have a hard time if if things do slow down 
because there's that dead spot of like when you're you know in doing what we do halfway through December to like the end of February is the dead spot so you have to really and a low energy too oh god I mean, yeah when the sun is setting at four o'clock yeah. and you're like I have to do a gig in five hours from now yeah. and I am stuck to my couch yeah it's rough it's brutal but it's like getting out of the house yeah like the first time the first interaction you have with other human beings it's already dark and you're just like you just are curled up in a sleeping bag it's no good but um, I don't know. I, yeah, man. I don't know. I, uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you can take a break. I hope you can take advantage of some little getaway. I do too. You deserve it. I, I think You're I, I think so. creative, highly generative individual. Meaning I, you I do generate that. a lot of material. And the fact you've been doing daddy issues now for a year and a half. Yeah. You know, whittling it down. I mean, that creative process is no joke. Yeah. To stay present with the material and to constantly be, does that work? Does that work? Does that work? And especially if a lot of it is, is unhealed stuff. I mean, I'm really happy to hear that you're seeing a therapist. Yeah. But that, I mean. That, that all kind of started to happen at the same time. Like, wow. I, like coincidentally, I started going to therapy like right after I did the show for the first time. And that gave me a lot of insight into, into what the, oh, man, all those issues particular one that's really interesting was that I thought I mentioned I kind of alluded to this a couple minutes ago I've been under the impression that doing the creative work was the thing that was going to heal the scars mm. but I didn't realize that I didn't realize that that's not true mm. that you know so so as I've been you know dealing with things in my personal life not on stage in a better way it kind of took the pressure off the work the work didn't have to do the heavy lifting like the, the 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 show didn't have to be a thing that saved me. Right. The show could be a thing that was an expression of a different kind of truth, and could be an expression of like things that I've done that were things how I've gotten better. And instead of instead of I need to say this because if I don't, I'll explode. And it's it's become it's the work has a different purpose now, and that that's been really interesting. That's something you know I've been hustling about thirteen thirteen years now, and like wow, and like this this is that's been the biggest revelation I had in the last like six months mm. like, was that, okay, the work doesn't have to save your life. You know, the work can be your life, but it doesn't have to save it. So, Absolutely. Yeah. It's, really, it's, it's been something interesting I learned. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's a really valuable thing to keep in mind. I've been thinking a lot about, um, I posted on Facebook like yesterday or something, these two thoughts that were coming into my head a lot. One of which is do the work mm. period. Mm -hmm. And second is don't take the bait. <laughs> Those yeah. are the two things. I mean, and at least Where's with the bait come, like, just yeah. like taking the bait. I mean, I'm especially on Facebook. There's so much like angry stuff being posted in people, yeah. like, especially in around very important discussions. You know, racism, sexism, yeah. uh, gender equality, gender issues. I mean, across the board. And there's so many people who get on there like this is the right thing. Da -da -da -da. Yeah. But for me, it's just like just to focus down and to do the work and to I mean bring it back to what you were saying. Um, I, again, I just, I was really fortunate to attract in this quote. I was listening to a podcast a couple days ago and the quote was, let your work be the practice. It's not the goal. It's not the end all be all yeah. just like show up for it and yeah. keep doing it because yeah. I'll, allow that to be the constant so that the rest of your life can happen around it. Yeah. But don't let it be, you know, like exactly what you said, like where you are your work 
or the work is the agent of healing because that's it I can imagine that would be quite um, quite a conflation of different uh, what's the word like roles within your life I mean work is work and healing and family and you know all of that stuff but then you start thinking about like what is the purpose of what I'm doing I mean like there's certain things that we all do that's like without a doubt 100% for the purpose of, of entertainment and that's like for escape and that's cool but then there's other things that are not about that there's other things that are for the purpose of it's not to teach a lesson you know but it's more that you the purpose of some of the work that you do is is to be able to just present a, a, a your version of the truth mm. which I think is every artist's real job is to like look at the world and then tell the world how you saw it right so like so I I get you get kind of some of it's like navel gazing bullshit but like you said thinking about like why am I doing this and like the reason you're doing it is just because you have to do it mm-hmm. but there's more to it than that it's not no one has no one has a responsibility to, but they like, do have callings true yeah but it's not but it's up to you to to do it or not like right, whether absolutely. like you can have a calling whether or not you follow through with it is not something that's going to make or break the universe it's just like you might have a calling and then it's you're still it's all choice man like it's all absolutely yeah, i completely all, agree in every moment yeah. we have a choice cuz it's a cop out like at times i'd believe that like all right, this is something i'm meant to do the universe put me here for a reason i got to do this stuff that's bullshit. Like, it's a cop-out because you, in the end, it's all a choice. Mm-hmm. Like, I choose to do this. I choose to, you know, do the show and, like, relive all these terrible memories brand new all over again. Mm-hmm. I choose to do that. And why do I choose to do it? Because I know that, like, if somebody else hears it, it might make them, like, it might help them not feel alone. And that's the only reason, I guess. Uh, you know, it's 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 all a choice. Mm-hmm. And the second you start to think that you're out of control of your choice, then you're not really, I mean, you're not really doing anything then. Well, the out of control with regards to choice, that to me signals a victim mentality where yeah. life is happening to yes. you as oh, opposed yeah, to yeah. you happening to life. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that mentality, a lot of people have it and may not even realize it or realize that they have a choice where they can say, actually, I no longer choose to allow like to be at the effect of life i now choose to make proactive decisions and i will happen to my life yeah and also i mean another thing is especially being a creative person you know putting work out there um you have a response i feel we all have a responsibility to ourselves but we're not responsible for anybody's reaction to the no work. never never or to our actions period we're not responsible for them we can take them. We can take them, or you know, respond to them as we wish, uh, because again, that's that choice is in our court. But yeah. especially as a creative individual, especially if the work is very challenging or activating, you know, it's it's going to stir the pot. I thought this right almost from the get go as I started into this kind of you know path in my life is that this even went back into you know when I was younger and I didn't have the 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 way to say it right the full formed ideas of how to express it but the, what I really believe is as an artist you like I said you look at the world and you show the world what you thought of it right but you know a songwriter writes a song records that song puts a song out a painter uh, does a painting hangs it on a wall somewhere a photographer takes a picture of a moment and distributes it, distributes it somehow your responsibility to it once it's 
out in the world is over. Mm-hmm. You know, like like I'll never ever know what what David's thinking when he takes a specific photograph. Mm-hmm. I'll never know. That's in his head. But it's for me to look at it and say that reminds me of this. So this makes me feel this. If David worries about what people are gonna feel. As he's taking the photograph, he's not he's not taking the photograph anymore. Exactly. He's trying to have an imaginary uh, aggregate of imaginary people's unknown and emotions. And he'll be stopped in his tracks. Yeah. And so, like, once you once I was able to like realize, I think like my responsibility to the work is done as soon as I make it. Then like that just lets everything go. It's it, like then you it's a freedom then mm-hmm. because then you know you're not. Like, you can't create something with the idea that you're going to save the world with it, because that's bullshit. You can't create something because you're going to say, this is going to make people feel better. Yeah, that's bullshit. You can't create... It's just the same thing in a story. You Like, we're all telling stories one way or the other. I'm talking about, it's just like the, the particular kind of first-person narrative that I'm, that I'm working in. Like, you can't do anything. You can't say, well, I want to make people happy here. I want to make them sad at this point. I want them to laugh here and cry here. Mm-hmm. That's not to say you don't put in jokes, you know, because we do that as human beings. But, like, you can't dictate how people feel. You just can't do that. It's not up to you. And I think, yeah, like you're saying, it'll stop you in your tracks if you think, well, I need to, I need this piece of art to say, to make people feel a certain thing. Oh my God. You can't do that. Yeah. It's the, I mean, what you just said, you know, doing something to make somebody else do something. I mean, that is a lost cause Mm -hmm. among lost causes because I mean, it's a completely invalidating their ability to make proactive decisions for their own lives, but also like, and I'm going to say, who the fuck are you? I'm not talking about you, Peter Mm -hmm. Gore, but who the fuck are you to feel that you can make a better decision for that person than they can themselves. I mean, we all yeah. have our own paths. We all have our own processes. Yeah. And we all need to surrender ourselves to our own process and everybody else to their own process. I mean, like you said, like the artist, when it, you, you can never get inside the mind of the artist unless you are that artist, yeah. exactly. And then you take their work as it is. But to, to try to go past that, I mean, you know, to, to, to begin to meddle, be it energetically or emotionally, it's it's yeah. a... That's very tricky. Because you can, I think you can, you can kind of show people what you learned, mm-hmm. but you can't show them what they should learn. Yeah. That's up to them to That's up to out. them. And that's a good, it's a good thing to know because then, it, like I said, it just kind of frees you up. Yeah, you know? totally. I mean, unless you're like taking a course and you need to learn like the tenets, say, of improv, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, that should be learned if you want to, quote unquote, be an yeah, but there's a, person. Yeah, but there's even a structure then, there that you learn the structure. Yeah. But that's a different thing. Like, that's not... But then you can forget about it and create your own work. Yeah. And yeah. I, for, I, my background is in art, sort of art administration and art history. Uh-huh. And I always wanted to be an artist, but I never thought I could be an artist. Yeah. And I was talking... I love photography. And I was talking to um, my tutor in grad school about it. And tutor... I went to school in London, so that's technically an advisor. Yeah. Um, but I was saying, you know, oh, I, you know, I'm really interested in going to school for photography, and she's like, just so you know, like you'll go to school for photography for four years, you will learn everything, and then you'll have to spend the rest of your life forgetting it, so that you can then create yeah. your art as opposed to, oh, well, this is what so and so would have done. This is what you know. Oh, I'm going to emulate Man Ray. Like, how about you just emulate yourself? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I agree. There's certain things you you can learn. 
You can learn technical things. A Absolutely. photographer should know how Absolutely. light works. A photographer should know how, you know, I guess lenses and, you know. Same a, with the painter. A like painter needs to know what the different brushes How to paint shadows, do. the colors, cool shadow, totally. warm shadow. Yeah, but yeah. like it's not, I mean, you should know how that stuff works, but like an improviser should know how to do an improv scene by the book, but then you should be able to know how to break all, like if you're, if you're being, I don't know if you're doing the right stuff, you should be able to break all those rules. After Absolutely. That, Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, I mean like that's a, that's an important part is to be able to like make your own rules. Mm-hmm. And like take I don't know man like just take pieces of stuff and make your own make your own rule book, you know? Yeah. Some of this and some of that. I went to an acting school years and years ago. This place called the T Shriver Studio uh, in Midtown and it was really great. They didn't adhere to any one uh school of acting. Like they didn't just do Meisner or Method or you know Stella Adler or anything they taught you a bit of everything and let you pick what worked for you so like you had 12 people in a class using 12 different techniques working together and because it's a personal thing it was really I I always I learned a lot from that I learned about diversifying I learned about keeping an open mind I learned about Mm -hmm. you know like not being afraid to like question a piece of one thing and using you know, another piece from something else to fill in that thing you didn't like, you know, yeah. it's, I learned a lot from that. There's a, there's a saying, um, you know, don't borrow from one, borrow from a thousand. Yeah. Because, you know, that's the copycat reflex. Like when you really love someone's work and you can see the influence in certain people's work, certainly like in film, like how, like I just watched High Anxiety for the first time, Mel Brooks film, mm-hmm. which is a huge love letter to Hitchcock I mean a very parody based hilarious one Um, but Mel Brooks did his work within you know as a salutation to Hitchcock and it's hilarious and very intelligent you can see you know how he really is an excellent filmmaker I mean it's it's uh, it can be um, what's the word Uh, not as a parent but I was watching it with a huge movie buff so I was like oh wow I could I could see it through that because otherwise it would have been like well okay that's funny but I don't yeah. get it because I'm not that big of a I'm, a... I'm a terribly ignorant movie viewer. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I, there are so many movies I haven't seen. It's, 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 it's terrible. I haven't seen Meatballs. <laughs> I don't think you have to. I don't think... Yeah, no. There's... All those 1980s movies, but even some of the classics. I, Meatballs yeah. was just what was coming to me. Like Revenge of the Nerds. Man, Revenge of the... You know, it doesn't age well. Like, go back and look at it. It's real... <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that doesn't age well because it's real. Porkies. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially now with like modern sensibilities, there's a lot of that older stuff that like is, has a lot of real problematic shit in it. Yeah. Yeah. Rape culture for one. Uh, Sexism. uh, Racism. You name it. All the the isms. The the easiest one to really kind of shut down is, and it's an amazing movie, is The Breakfast Club. Right. (gasps) I was just movie. talking to Joe Boobs about this. It's amazing. Except the one problem with Ali Sheedy's character, where the whole movie is about be yourself, but she doesn't have any worth until she tries to be not herself. And like that. Because she tries to conform to the feminine beauty standards. Yeah. Where she was awesome the whole time. And, and like that's such a glaring. I had a, a teacher in high school uh, taught us about that. Uh, this or she was a six foot tall nun named Sister Gil Mary Beagle, and she was amazing. Wow. She was awesome, and she she like 
like screamed at us about that. Don't you see what the problem is with this? And none of us did until she yelled at it, yelled yeah. at us about it. Like, you know, like some, I mean, that movie's still fantastic. There's some great stuff in John, there's John Hughes, man. Like, yeah. he's so good, you know, but like there's, it's, you know, it's hard going back and looking at stuff. There's so much pro- like problematic shit. It's interesting. I mean, bringing the conversation in a way full circle. I mean, yeah. John Hughes as a creator, I mean, he took his own life. Yeah. And Molly Ringwald wrote a beautiful op-ed after um, he passed saying, you know, he was that kid in high school. Like, he never got past that. Yeah. He made all the movies that are so quintessentially the high school experience. But he himself, even as an adult man, couldn't get past it. Yeah. And it, you know, it it dogged him to I the end. I wonder why. Who knows? I mean, think of, like, he did some great stuff, man. Yeah. Even the stuff later, you know, I just recently watched, uh, he did Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I'm going to go up on Wikipedia and find I'm out his pretty sure. list of, uh, oh, I'm on airplane mode though. That's all right. We'll figure right. it out. I'm going to keep, keep my phone away from the recorder so it doesn't go dick 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 We can pretend that we don't need to know everything and we can guess. All right. But like he, I'm, you know, I'm pretty, 99% sure he did Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. If he didn't, then, you know. You can insert a correction here. And that's like, that's not a story about, about high school at all. It's, but it's also very darkly humorous. There's all kinds of stuff that wouldn't happen today. Yeah. There's uh remember she's having a baby, like Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth Montgomery. <gasps> yeah. And it's so funny. What I remember the most about that is a, the conception scene and B, when she's taking a shower and she's talking about how she has hemorrhoids. Yeah. I always saw that when I was really young. I was like, what the yeah. fuck? I remember watching that really young too. <laughs> And that was like essentially the great outdoors. Uncle Buck. Oh God! Home Uncle, Alone. Uncle Buck is so good. And by the way, I was wrong. I thought I thought he had committed suicide, but he actually had a heart attack. So I retract that. Uh, Beethoven. Wow. <laughs> Dennis the Menace, Baby's Day Out, uh, 101 Dalmatians. Wow, he was working consistently. Made in Manhattan. His last movie was Drill Bit Taylor. Oh man, that was with Owen Wilson, right? Uh, you would know better than I. His first one was Delta House, which was a TV show. Oh, National Lampoon's yeah, Class House, Reunion. Delta House was the, they tried to make a, a TV show based on Animal House. That was a terrible right. idea. I was just talking, actually, speaking of Animal House, I was just talking to a friend who saw um, Animal House again. It's like, that is a, they are horrible people. Yeah. That is a, that, they are just destructive and there's no one, horrible people. There's no, there's no one in the movie that is at all someone you would want to be. There's no... No sympathetic characters. Maybe... I haven't seen it in so long. I can... I'm only seeing John Belushi in my mind's eye. They're all scumbags and idiots. But it's so good. Like, just that, man. That movie's still so good. It is good. There's a... I just see recently. I saw... I want to... I saw... I saw American Sniper the other day. Oh, what do you think about that? I've heard some seriously problematic... Well, there is. I mean, there's... Yeah. I mean, there is problems with it. But I came into it knowing that there were lies. Ah. Because... Knowing that Clint Eastwood was pushing his own propaganda. No. He didn't do that. No? No. It was the lies were existed in this guy's autobiography. Oh. Like, there's... So, like, I like Clint Eastwood movies. Because I think... I, I like how... You just get a sense that they're just they're it's like workman movies, you know what I mean? It's not uh, artisanal 
uh, rosemary bread with with you know locally sourced ham. It's a grilled cheese sandwich with tomato. Mm-hmm. It's just it is what it is, and it, like. You know, Grand Torino had his problems, but it was a really solid story, and there were some great moments, like, uh, you know, Unforgiven, Million Dollar Baby. There were all these other ones that, like, he did that were, he just, and you get these these ideas of, like, he, he goes, he does, if the first take, if nobody fucks up their lines, he uses it. And all the actors are like, I didn't, I wasn't, and he's like, too bad. And, like, he, you know, yeah. we just do it. So it makes the actors be on point all the time. The, I thought the... The you know the politics of the movie. I don't think. I think what it was about was, and this can be more controversial than me shitting on Boston at the beginning of our conversation. <laughs> but the, I think like the main point of the movie was it was about this guy. I think he, I think Clint Eastwood shot what he was given with the book, right? Mm-hmm. We probably got to wrap up. No, 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 oh, okay. cool. I think he shot what he was given with the with the with the book. But I think so. I don't blame Clint Eastwood with it at all I think in a way it's almost an apolitical movie uh, and again I could be completely wrong but I think he was just shooting what he was given but I think the thing that was really interesting to me was it was about this guy who had this belief system hammered into him as a kid that they like he, there's this whole scene in the beginning where his father his father was a strong presence in his life tells, tells him that there are sheep there are wolves and there are sheep dogs and the sheep are the people that that just, you know, they're just useless and they just kind of wander. I'm paraphrasing. They, they're wolves and those are predators and they need to be shut down. And then there are sheepdogs and those are people. Who guard the flock. That if they're, if they're able to, they look out for everybody. Yeah. So, like, this guy had this thing in his mind. This, this, this you know, you can't call him a character because he was a real guy, but it was a character in the movie because, you know, as it turned out later, there's fabrications in this guy's story. Yeah. But, like, he believed something. Like, he really had a strong set of beliefs that, like, if he could help and watch over, you know, the world, that was his responsibility to do it, mm-hmm. right? Because who else was going to do it? Yeah. I was hearing a lot about... Um, I mean, the reason I said, you know, the propaganda thing is because Clint Eastwood is a, I mean, very right-wing, like, super pro-war anti-Obama, um, not necessarily activist, but he's super conservative. The movie is not pro-war at all. See, I, again, I haven't seen it, but I do know that the people who have come out lambasting it, just saying, are, are talking about, and it may well be Chris Kyle's take on it. Um, it basically, it's like a psychopath's journey. Like a psychopath who feels that he, you know, he's killing, like, what you're talking, I'm bringing it back to, you know, the sheep, the wolf, and the sheepdog, you know, he had this mission to, you know, protect him so that he could eliminate life on that basis, which I find morally very problematic, but then again, I'm not in the military. But I don't know, there was no part, like, I, I saw this Again, movie. I haven't seen it, so. Yeah, yeah, so it was, maybe it's not the greatest thing to talk about, but, like, it was, I didn't, I saw it, I wouldn't call him a psychopath. I would say that he was an uninformed person, uninformed of reality, that became informed of reality through his actions and his choices, and then suffered due to that. Like, he he was... I, I don't think it's a pro-war movie at all. Okay. Like, I... What I... Like, what I came out of it... What I came out with it was... Uh, just... All right, here's this... Other than like, you know, here's this guy that has this real strong set of beliefs and how did he express that? But it was just like, if anything, it reinforced the, that 
the horror of war and the choices that you're forced to make under orders yeah. during that. And it was, I don't, like, you know, and what it does to people. Like, I, I don't get a sense that it was, uh, I don't get a sense that it was a pro-war movie okay. at all. I, I, I would think, you know, whenever something's really, really popular, it made a shit ton of money really fast. Yeah. And that's just, all that is, is a, a benchmark of, you know, just pure popularity, which is not any kind of uh, benchmark or quality. But like when something is very, very popular, even if I know it's not going to be my jam, like I, I try to check it out mm -hmm. because I, I just want to see, okay, what is it that, what is it that people are responding to? I just want to see what it is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, uh, even if, you know, even if it's, if it's not my thing, I can just say, okay, well then this is what people are into right now. Or like a certain group of people or like, what is it that's, that's, that grabs people about it. So like, that's why I went to see it. Not because I knew it was going to be difficult to watch because it definitely was, right. you know, but it was also, I, you know, I think again, like purely, I just really like Clint Eastwood movies. Mm. I don't know. There's just something about the, style to the way he does it. I or mean, almost a lack of style. Like he just, oh, it's very working man. Like he just, he just does it. He just presents it. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting the way he does it. I think he's a fascinating fucking weirdo. Like he's such a weird guy. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't imagine the life he's led. Can you imagine? Like starting out with, yeah. you know, like doing all those just weird bit parts and then just, you know, and then becoming that man with no name thing. And then the, uh, you know, the dirty Harry stuff and, yeah. and just, and then be like, now he's just like, he's such a crazy old man and he's still like, he still makes things the way he wants to do it. Like yeah. there's, you know, I don't know. It was, it was something, man. And same thing could, I mean, what you just said about crazy old man still doing his thing. I'm trying to think of like other auteurs, quote unquote, in Hollywood, like Woody Allen being another one. Yeah. I mean, again, problematic figure, certainly. Completely. Um, but he kind of he's been sticking to his formula. Once a year, maybe he slowed down a little. It's once every two years, I think. And he's still, still pretty prolific. And he, you know, he's still like there was that one was at uh, midnight he's in Paris or whatever. Right now, I think probably, he's, you know. I do, he's do, he's doing something that is not a movie. Good for him. I mean, you know, I mean, he's. I wouldn't want to sit down TV with the guy. Show? But oh, I can't remember what it he's is. He's still doing what he's doing. Yeah. Like you look at like Robert Altman, did exactly what he wanted till the end. Like he like that was a, he made his own. He figured out how to make the movies he wanted to make. And right until the end, he just, you know, he kept doing it. Even, like, what was the last one he did? It was Prairie Home Companion, I think. And, like, you know, they even had, who was it, Paul Thomas Anderson in the, in the uh, like, he was there on set in case Altman died during the movie. So he, oh, my so, God. So he could finish it. Like, Altman, I guess, asked him to do that. I don't know. There's something about people figure out how they're, how to express themselves. It, in know, the face of... Yeah. Life. Well, yeah, but like they, you, you don't figure that out. That gives me hope because you don't really, you're fucking around with it for a long time, but you, you don't figure it out until later. Mm. You know, like I'm still young. I got, I'd like to think I still have time to. Like I'm 38. I still got. I'm a baby, so like mm -hmm. I'm, I still have, you know, at least three or four more years until I'm until I pass away. No, don't fucking <laughs> say that, man. I want to see you as a crotchety old 70-year-old. You'll be finding me on a porch with a bottle of whiskey. Hey, ain't nothing wrong with away that. Away from the things of man. 
<laughs> in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. In the yeah, in the I don't know Fairbanks, Alaska, away from everybody, with a bunker and a, a bunker with a porch, a bar whiskey and a rocking chair, and naked ladies. Of course, naked, naked ladies. ladies. I'm going to need naked ladies around me. <laughs> it's very important. <laughs> we all have our. Emotional diets as well as our physical diets. <laughs> right. I just, yeah, I just I'm happier <laughs> when there are naked ladies around. So I, I believe it, man. <laughs> I speak that language. I mean, in the spirit of, um, we're actually, I mean, break notwithstanding, we are basically at exactly an hour. Is there anything else under the sun or the moon that you would like to talk about today before we before we wrap up? Shit, man. There's, there's always a million things. I I couldn't even really nail one down. <laughs> I you know I don't know. I just uh, I don't know. I don't know, Lex. It's all good. I'm glad I'm here. This was this man. Was very, I'm I'm yeah, happy you're here this too. Was that was an intense conversation. It was. I like how we. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I, I listening to these episodes later. I always love paying attention to the arcs of the conversation that yeah. happen, and I think we did pretty well sticking to the subject of art. I mean, yeah. beginning with yours, yeah. and sort of bringing it into through the lens of others' art. You know, problematic as it may be, it's yeah. still art, though. I mean, Dirty Martino is the one who told me, and I will remember this for the rest of my life. Good art challenges people. Oh, it's got yeah, always. It can't be that, easy. I'm maybe paraphrasing. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'm paraphrasing what she said. But she's, yeah, art should challenge people. Maybe not necessarily good art, but art should challenge people. She was a fucking rock star earlier this week. With yeah, all she that was stuff. the 21st century burlesque yeah. response. Yeah, all that stuff happened. And like, it's a goddamn shame, man. And it was so, uh, it was, I don't know her personally, the Bella Blue? Is it the producer down there? Bella Blue and Ruby Rage. For those listening who don't know what we're talking about, this is um, Lucky Piers, which is a club venue in New Orleans had banned um, a performer of size, for lack of a better term, even though she's, I mean, she just looks like a beautiful, curvy woman. I would never consider her a performer of size. But, um, yeah, and they said that they didn't want her in the show because she was not attractive enough. Yeah. Um, And... uh, She didn't, was something about she didn't adhere to the standards of what they wanted the presenters. Exactly. And Lucky Piers actually is a strip club chain basically the people who own Lucky Piers own tons of strip clubs through the south so they were putting that strip club you know body image fascism onto burlesque which has nothing to do with it and and then but then when they were called out on it then they went and just dropped a bunch of names of a bunch of people they had no business associating themselves with and then and then you know Dirty Martini was like keep my name out of your mouth I mean like she had a great response. She wrote response. a brilliant rebuttal in response. And then I just saw, I guess it was yesterday, that Bella Blue decided she was not going to produce there anymore, which is yeah. the hard choice but the right choice. I bet she'll be able to find another room in New Orleans to go do some stuff. I mean, I hope so. That I mean, that show ran five nights a week, and yeah. it was it provided income for people who have kids. I mean, Bella has two kids, yeah. and I'm sure plenty of the other performers did that. I mean, that's that's a job. You know, to have that income gone. But I did see, um, I have a friend based in Bristol, Tuesday Laveau, who, in England, um, who is coming to New Orleans, uh, like, next month. And she posted on Facebook today, she's like, well, I guess I'm not performing at Lucky Piers anymore, so I guess they cut the burlesque show, like, completely. 
I don't know. If they did, that's a shame. That's a real shame because they're not doing anybody any favors by doing that. And I heard it was an absolutely brilliant show, The Blue Book. I think that was that what it was called, The Blue Note, The Blue Book, something like that, because Bella Blue being the producer. You know, though, like, just on the subject of, I know we're just about done, but I just want to talk about, like, That's the, all good. The, we got time. on the subject of, like, you know, losing shows, there's, it's happened in New York in the last year, you know, there's no kitty nights, there's no, everything in our bar shut down, there's yep. no Shark Bite Sideshow, there's no Bedlam Burlesque, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, it, like, there's no more, I mean, Original Sins, long gone. Uh, there's no more like clubhouse shows. There's yeah. no more shows where you, where you can go and just like, like you know, like kidding that you knew like every every Sunday. This is on a different issue, obviously, than what's happening yeah, in New Orleans. But like there's but like there's nothing left where like kidding that you knew like on Sunday night I can go to the East Village, pay five bucks, and see eight people I know. Yep. And like you know, if I've been out of town or traveling, I would go to Kitty Nights or I would go to Shark Bite Sideshow or Bedlam Burlesque and like know that. When I went to that show, I'd see a bunch of people I knew, you know? And, like, that's something New York is sorely missing right now. It's yeah. a real bummer. I mean, I remember, you know, rewinding back to 2008, 2009 when Rafifi sure. closed. Sure. Yeah, that and was that a touchstone. That was the beginning. It was like, place. holy shit. And then Starshine and I think Sweet Nasty closed with it. But Starshine went to Lucky Chang's and yeah. then Lucky Chang's closed. I mean, yeah. mind you, Starshine had left already. Um, but Gal and Albert had a show there and they left there. I mean, it seems that... There are constantly venues opening and closing. Yeah, I know it's cyclical. You know, I but know it's it goes awfully up. rapid. Yeah, it seems to happen like a lot. You know, in in tighter step, yeah. as it were. It's tough. But yeah, I mean, I'm very fortunate to have my show, and I love my venue, Lone Wolf in Bushwick. Yeah. And it's awesome, and I hope it stays around for a very long time to come. Um, and now, at least, it slippers back open. You know, I mean, that's yeah. the only. Clubhouse. I mean, but the even tough then, part, it's, it's hard because like the general clientele there. Yeah, it's it, well, that's the thing. That's what prevents it from being a clubhouse. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes it's great people there, and you know, you show up on a Saturday night, and a bunch of people, a bunch of performers go there after their gigs, yeah. and all end but up hanging out. Then sometimes it's just all, and you know what it's like, like being on the stage. Sometimes there, you just have people that aren't listening, aren't interested in listening, aren't paying attention, aren't interested in paying attention. You're just performing for nobody yep. in a packed room it's, yeah. it's tough yeah it's tough I agree but I feel you know New York City is one of the best places to perform to be a freelance artist no matter your medium because it's getting harder though man it is but you know it's it's uh, it's what yeah it's I don't know it's part of the part of the beast I mean, Tigger's the one who told me, he's like, you make your name in New York, you make your money outside of New York. That's absolutely true. That's what I've learned in the last year. But because you can't, it's almost impossible to make, like, it's crazy. I'll go do a show on the road with the moth or myself, or, you know, with a couple hundred people or, or a thousand people or two thousand people. And then two days later, I'm back in New York doing a show for 12 people in a basement somewhere. <laughs> and it's like, all right, man. You know, and like, that's just what it is, you know? Yeah. That's just what it is. It's hard. It's hard in New York, but I think like you can you can make stuff here because of the the constant stimulus. Like you're always out. Maybe that's why winter's so hard to bring it back because you can't like you know you're not like you're out and if you do go out, everything's dark. No one can look at each other. It's so cold. You're not 
no one's in the mood to interact. There's no there's no energy. Everyone's energy is closed and interior. Whereas where, like there's something about New York, man. Like when it's nice, everyone's energy oh. becomes ex. All our energy become Venn diagrams touching <laughs> each other, totally. and we all become part of each other's experience. I am very interested to see what spring is going to be like this year because winter has been so incredibly cold. I think people are just going to get spontaneously pregnant. <laughs> it's just like God. pow, 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 pow. Jesus. I mean, but like literally that, like that, that <laughs> huge growth and just that explosion of life. Yeah. Just like people literally bursting out of their apartments you know, man, and their clothes. It's really only been this month. December wasn't that cold. January, January. January, by the end of it, got a little cold, but not really. It was really, it's been February. It has been. It's and been it's, a very cold February. It's the shortest month of the year. It's felt like fucking Groundhog Day. And like, it's been, you know, I mean, today it's 16 degrees. I think. Maybe. Something like that. I anyway. think my phone's back on airplane mode, so I can't check yeah, it. That's but okay. uh, let's just say it's 16 degrees. Who's going to fucking I did. Check? Well, actually, I did before uh, before you came over, and it was 12. But it may have warmed up. Nice. Balmy. What, I, balmy what I'm having difficulty with is the ice. The ice is yeah. so fucking intense. Oh, it's 21, 21. according well, to shit. Dave's iPhone. Well, I got bad knees. I got. I just recently Ooh. in the last year developed uh, tears in both my meniscus and both my Jesus. Grade three tears. I have inevitable surgery. Oh my god! So like, I I don't, I don't have Ugh. a wrap up today because I had a wrap Ugh. up yesterday. But it's like I'm, I walk around, shuffle around, like like just uh, just uh, I don't know. Like I'm a broken. It's terrible. Oh you gotta my be god! Very that mindful. sounds incredibly. It, sucks. it hurts so bad, legs. Ugh. It's terrible. I'm so sorry to hear yeah. that. But you know, you got it is what it is. Indeed. Um, I don't. I would much rather this conversation just to keep on meandering onwards. But in the interest yeah, of time, we should sure. probably close it up. Um, yeah. Please remind our my dear listeners where they can find you on uh, stage, off, or at least on the internet. Yeah. Well, on the internet, uh, I, I usually have an updated schedule on peteraguero.com. Um, figure out how to spell that <laughs> on your own. Um, I do daddy issues. Uh, it's been all over the place. Um, you know, there's information about that on the website. Uh, what are your next shows coming up? Uh, issues? Coming up, uh, you know, like I said, throughout the, you know, I'm doing Philly at the end of February. Austin, Texas at the Vortex Theater on the 21st of, is it the 21st? Of Let's March? just say it's the 21st of March. Saturday? Uh, yeah, uh, 22nd then. So it's Sunday. I'm doing it Sunday. I'm going down there to host a magic show for Patrick Terry. Uh, Friday and Saturday I'm doing my show on Sunday uh, Portland, Maine April 16th no May 16th May 16th um, I'm in uh, Winnipeg Fringe Festival in uh, July um, and I also regularly host uh, the Moth Story Slam at the Bell House on the first Monday of the month the next one is March 2nd and then like whatever the first Monday of the month is after that Come check that out and tell stories. That's where you can find me. Usually, if you ever find me somewhere, just buy me a whiskey. Yes. Even if, I already, even if I already have one, just buy me another one. <laughs> how do you, how, what's your favorite whiskey and how do you like it? Uh, generally, uh, like Makers on the Rocks is good. Uh, I like uh, Bullet Bourbon's real good. I really like uh, the stuff called Rebel Yell. It's a fantastic bourbon. Um, they don't always have it everywhere because it's cheap. <laughs> but I like Jim Beam too. Jim Beam's like my table bourbon. 
listeners you know what to buy peter when you go see him thank um you. peter thank you so much i'm so happy you came back and you i have to say you are the first guest uh, to return for a full interview no shit the only other person i have had on twice is nasty canasta but she's been in a uh, reading her, capacity she's ever on every episode I she's should. nasty goddamn canasta <laughs> or as it turns out in spanish nasty basket <laughs> <laughs> You better get that checked out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Peter. It's my pleasure, Lex. I adore you. I adore you. And there you have it, folks, my interview with Peter Aguero. To find out more about Peter and where you can find him next, do please go to his website, peteraguero.com. And if you want to read one of the more involved bios I have ever read on the Internet, pleasurably read, I should add, do please go visit his bio page because you will basically get a rundown of his entire life, and it's wonderful. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for your support, your love, and your energy. If you like what you're hearing, please don't hesitate to donate to the podcast. Even a dollar or five will go towards helping us cover costs, and Dave and I thank you very much in advance. Thanks again, guys. Hope you all are well, taking care of yourselves, and I look forward to bringing you another fabulous podcast very, very soon. Lots of love. Bye.